Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM in the AM. Ellie Beer was with us recently to discuss the United Hatzalah of Israel event that's coming up. Here is that conversation with Ellie Beer on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to uh, introduce or reintroduce, I should say, Ellie Beer to this uh, wonderful audience. Uh, Ellie, of course, is the founder, leader of um, United Hatzalah of Israel. And we really have three topics this morning with Ellie Beer. Um, he has a big gala coming up in New York City, which obviously we'll mention. Uh, but there's some sensitive work going on on a daily basis in Israel that he oversees. And there's very sensitive work going on in the Ukraine that United Hatzalah of Israel has gotten involved with uh, since the end of February. Ellie Beer, founder, president, United Hatzalah of Israel, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. It's always great to be by you. It's uh, so many years I I, I, show, I, I go on your show, and it's, I love it more and more every time. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Let's. We'll talk about the dinner. We'll talk about the gala. It's always an amazing event, and and we'll get to all of that. But let, let me start with a couple of things. The situation in Israel. Um, it, it seems every time we we you know turn on the news here, go to the uh, go to the web to check out the latest that's going on. There are a, a tremendous number of clashes that are going on. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, episodes that we would consider terrorist attacks uh, are um, are on the rise. It's been a very rough few months for our brothers and sisters in Israel. I would have to imagine that in addition to all the life-saving work that your organization does, uh, for them to, to it, it has to be unavoidable for your personnel not to get involved in some of these situations. Some of these situations, you know, actually do... Uh, it, it require first responders to get to the spot as soon as possible. So these terror attacks, number one, put your personnel in a very sensitive and precarious situation. And then I would think some of these clashes, uh, as things develop, uh, do the same. What could you tell us about what your men and women have been going through over the last few months in Israel? Well, you know, we had a very rough, let's put it this way, a year since Lag Bomber last year. Uh, which was one of the worst tragedies of Israel, if not the worst. Um, just, uh, Mehran came, it was after COVID, a really few ways of COVID. And then we had a war. People forget, May last year, we had a war. A lot of people were injured and killed in that war, and we were all involved. Every United Hatzalah volunteer from all around the country came to help down south. That was over. They had tragedies in uh, in different parts that we were involved. The tragedy in uh, in the Surfside that we send volunteers from Israel to help in, and um, waves again of COVID, and then we were back to uh, to normal for a while, and then uh, the war broke out in Ukraine. We were there, sending our volunteers who are still there, and the waves of terror does not stop. And now we have a peak of the the waves of terror in Israel. We're talking about. Uh, individual terrorists who just decide to be, uh, to be, uh, I don't know what they call them, to be, uh, Shaheeds. They yeah. think they're getting something in return. And this is, 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 this is unbelievable to see people who are just planning on their own. Maybe they're getting some funding from, from terrorist groups and from different countries, but they are on their own going ahead and their mission is to kill Jewish people in Israel. And this can happen in Hadera. It can happen in the center of B'nai Brak. 
in Tel Aviv or in Yerushalayim just uh, the other day. And uh, they, I, I, I spoke to a volunteer of ours who was in the terror attack in Yerushalayim, and uh, he literally saw it happen. And he, he could have been the one that he would have gotten injured and uh, or killed. And, and Baruch Hashem was able to save a soldier, a young soldier who was stabbed. of United Hatzalah, um, who was there because of the ambush cycles. He was able to drive through Shar Shem, you know, and be there and save a life of a young soldier. And he said, I could have been the one. He was right there when it happened. Yeah, the point... And, uh, uh, right. and this is happening every day. The point I'm trying to make is that, um, look, we, we know if someone uh, needs help medically, uh, the response time from United Hatzalah members is pretty remarkable, really record-breaking, and this is something that we've spoken about many times here. Uh, but now, uh, e- even though, again, even though, again, um, your personnel, they're, they're willing to go into any situation to help and, and willing to go into any situation that even puts their life in danger, it seems like now um, they're doing so much more of that. Uh, th- they are getting into into circumstances and episodes uh, that are even you know much more difficult than the average um, uh, first responder type episodes that we typically think of. You know, someone's having a heart attack and someone runs, you know, from one of your members runs to you know to save their life. Uh, so I, I I just I would imagine that it has put a certain strain on the people that you work with that that they have this additional consideration. Of I'm going to get involved in an episode. I'm going to get involved now in in, in a um, in 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 some type of uh, incident that's happening. And God knows, God forbid, I may not be able to come out of it alive. Listen, this is one of the things that you know people that are volunteers in Israel, in the army, or in Hatzalah, United Hatzalah, or any other serious like emergency rescue units in Israel knows that he's putting his life in danger. He could be in a situation where he's finding himself uh, in front of a, a person who wants to kill him just because he's Jewish. And we have this every single day. And, and we go to our house in the morning. We don't know where we're going to end. It could be we're going to be saving someone in a very dangerous situation. I just had a, uh, in B'nai Brock, the day we had a terrorist attack in B'nai Brock, volunteer who unfortunately worse and try to save someone he passed away in his hands he died in his hands from from the you know shooting of the terrorist uh five hours later he was in his house he was he couldn't sleep he was devastated he was in a situation that he needed emotional help all of a sudden he gets another emergency call of a woman two buildings away from where he lives was not who felt like she's giving birth at home and she was you know pregnant and all of a sudden the baby's coming out he he jumped out of bed, it was already almost in the morning, and he runs over and he delivers a healthy baby boy. And this is something that a few hours before he, he had to pronounce this young Jewish person dead in B'nai Brock, and all of a sudden he's delivering a baby. And this is the type of work we're dealing with in Israel. We never know what's the next thing. We don't know what we're going to deal with. And we just know we're putting our life for Hashem. We're saving lives. And, and Kiddush Hashem and Pikoch Nefesh. What has United Hatzalah, Eli Beer, founder of, uh, president of United Hatzalah of Israel is with us. What have you done in the Ukraine? The war broke out at the end of February. Uh, obviously at some point you and your leadership made a decision to get involved in a certain way. What were some of the types of things that you did and continue to do uh, regarding the Jewish community of the Ukraine? So 
So we had a group of volunteers who were operating in Ukraine for over 10 years uh, in Kiev and Odessa and in, uh, in, uh, Mezhibuzh and Uman. Um, we had a small group there that was helping the Jewish people and also non-Jewish people who needed help. And then when the war was about to break out, I didn't believe this thing was going to happen, but we had an emergency meeting about this. And I heard the voices from our volunteers who told us that this is going to be a devastating thing for the Jewish community and Ukraine because the Jews always are the blame for everything. You, you always blame the Jews from both sides. The Ukrainians and the Russians will always blame the Jews for everything, and they were really getting ready to leave anyone who could. And they said to us, we need help from Israel. We need you guys to come help us out because we're going to have some very hard rescue operations to get old people out, babies out and everything. So we... We didn't know if it's going to happen or not. We actually thought it might be, it might be, uh, it might be uh, um, a false alarm. But you know, we're going to go get ourselves ready. So before the war broke out, we already had a team of twelve people, paramedics and EMTs, who left Israel to Ukraine. We had a doctor from Miami, Dr. Zevi North, who left Miami that day to go help organize medically the teams. And uh, we were getting ready for the worst. And I, I was wrong. I thought it's not going to happen. My team thought it will happen. And I'm sad to say, uh, I'm, I'm sad to say that they were right. And and we we were dealing with the worst situation. The first uh, the first rescue mission we had was a baby, one day old. The mother called me up. She was in Israel. Mo- the mother was she couldn't have babies for 20 years. She couldn't have children. Her and her husband decided to take a surrogate to carry her baby. It's her baby. A Jewish baby was born in a shelter underneath a building in, in Kiev oh while the Russians were bombing Kiev. And she was trying everything possible to get there. She couldn't get to Ukraine. And she tried um, getting people to rescue the baby. No one had ability to do that. And even some people even told her, just give up. You know, let the baby go to... Um, let the baby just go to orphanage or something because you're not going to be able to get the baby. The war is going to be a disaster to get the baby out. It's going to be impossible. So she called me up. It was Friday afternoon. It was Friday night in, in Ukraine. I got my team to start working on the first rescue operation. 62 hours later, we had the baby, little baby. Um, uh, her name is Rain. Uh, the baby was uh, brought to the mother in Israel. Uh, the baby was four days old when the mother met the baby for the first time. And I just saw the baby yesterday. For the for my first time, I saw the baby. And it was just the greatest feeling in the world to see a beautiful baby um, living in Israel. And we know that if it wasn't for our volunteers being there, it was a very complicated rescue mission. And we were able to get her out. And then we had Holocaust survivors, 96-year-old Holocaust survivors, 92-year-old Holocaust survivors. We had no way of going by car. We had to get ambulances and, and rescue them. 12-hour drives on the roads in danger to get them to the border of Moldova and get them on planes to Israel. So we chartered LL planes and our Kia planes, and, uh, and we got these people from Moldova and, the, and Poland to Israel. We realized that the ones who are left behind don't have food, and for Pesach didn't have food, so we arranged... 250,000 pounds of food and medicine to be sent into Ukraine. So this is stuff that we dealt with in the last uh, two and a half months. 
What happens uh, to maybe almost three months? What happens today? Is that your team still on the ground? Are they safe? Are they helping? Is is there no need for them now? What's the story now? So right now, I just literally came in uh, 24 hours ago from Ukraine. I was in Ukraine meeting the Minister of Health of Ukraine, meeting the mayors there, Mayor of Kiev, and, di- and different officials in Ukraine to, to build our next phase of help because now the war changed you know directions. Now it's more east, and they still have a lot of Jews there, and a lot of Jews are killed in the east of, of Russia, of, sorry, of, of Ukraine. And some who want to get out can't get out. It's too difficult to get out. So what do we do now? How do we help them? We're thinking of new ways. We still have teams there and helping. Even this morning, we we took together with the Jewish agency that asked us to help them with six olim who are very, very sick or injured. That we we send paramedics to to get them from there by ambulances to a plane and escort them to Israel. They just landed a few hours ago in Israel. So we're trying our best to help as much as we could. The war is still going on, full force. Putin is not going to stop till he feels like he won. Um, he's, he's destroying a whole country, and a lot of people are affected, and a lot of Jews are affected. How does your so we're how just do, doing everything possible? How does your team uh, have what they need? How are they able to stay safe? Are they able to stay safe? Are they able to uh, uh, to get the supplies that they need, both medical and food supplies, in order to just you know continue this mission? It's very hard. We have to go every time. We have to go in different ways. I came through Moldova. Moldova just shut down their borders. They don't want people to go through Moldova to Ukraine because Moldovans are really, really concerned about Russia attacking them next. So they don't want to be involved anymore in, in even humanitarian help towards Ukraine. So now we have to find other ways through Poland, which is very difficult because of bureaucracy and because of so many people are going in and out. It just takes hours and hours, sometimes days. Our teams, their biggest problem is getting gasoline for the ambulances. We have a bunch of ambulances operating in Ukraine. We are struggling. You could wait eight hours to get into a gas station. If you find a gas station that has gasoline, and they give you only like three gallons to fill up your ambulance or your car. So we have to find ways of how to overcome that problem. Food is a problem. We have to send them food through different countries because they're not manufacturing any, anything there. And uh, we just have to struggle. Medicines. A lot of medicines that we bring, we bring to Israel. We have cargo planes leaving weekly with food and, and medicines from Israel, medical equipment, and helping the people there. So I, I could say that it's not an easy situation. It's not like you're in a vacation in Hawaii. Conditions are very, very hard and uh, you're putting your life in danger. I, I had to run to a bomb shelter yes, two days ago under the parliament in, in Kiev uh, together with parliament members to be in a bomb shelter because they had a threat. It was the 9th of May, and everyone was worried about maybe maybe Putin will be able to will want to shoot direct missiles into the parliament. So they had an um, a alarm. I'm so used to it from Sterot and from Ashkelon, it's uh, it's it's really the same scare. Yeah, you, know? you, 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 here were, it's you were the experienced one there. You could you could tell them exactly how to handle the situation. Uh, so with all yeah, you- they actually asked me. They were laughing and they said, "Are you scared?" I said, "Yes." They said, "Aren't you used to it from Israel?" I said, "Yeah, we're used to the Palestinian missiles, not to the Russian missiles." Yeah, good point. So I take time to get used to the. 
Ali Beer is yeah. with us, founder and president of United Hatzalah. You hear what his volunteers and uh, his staff is going through, both in Israel and the Ukraine. And all he asks of us is to come to a dinner in New York City. <laughs> so he's not asking us to go hide in bomb shelters. He's not asking us to go and be first responders or, or get into a situation where one gets involved in what is a terror attack against Jews or any of the things we discussed this morning. All Ellie Beer wants is for everybody to be at Pier 60 in New York City on Tuesday, May the 24th. In fact, Dr. Newworth, who you cited earlier in this conversation, is actually the special guest that night, right? Exactly. So thank you for mentioning that, Nahum. Uh, this gala is very important for us. We had, a, like I mentioned, a very difficult and, and challenging year this last past year. Uh, we want people to come, hear the stories, be motivated to, to be part of it, to, to get inspired. And we're going to bring Dr. Zevi Newworth, who was a hero, put his life in danger, stopped everything he was doing in, in his practice, and went to save people's lives in Ukraine. He's going to speak, and we're going to have a lot of good people there. It's going to be an incredible event. Um, a beautiful Tuesday um, on May 24th. I would love everyone who could come and uh, wants to come support to get a ticket and come support the event. It's in Pier 60, which is a beautiful area, too. Nice. I hope it's going to be good weather. Um and we're going to have uh, good food there. And we have a website, which everyone could just go on and get a ticket, get two tickets, get five tickets, and just bring your friends and family. I think it's uh, UH, UH is United Hotel, really. Uh, UHNYGala.com. Yeah. UHNYGala.com. And uh, you could also go into our website, israelrescue.org and learn more about the organization. If you can come, just go on our website and support our work in Israel and in Ukraine, which is so needed. The Heroes of Israel Gala <coughs> takes place in New York City on Tuesday, May the 24th at Pier 60. Special guest is Dr. Zevi Newworth, who we just spoke about. They'll honor Kathy and Alan Weiss and Alan Chantal Gindi. Um, there'll be Broadway stars performing at the event. It's going to be a great uh, night to honor the life-saving work of United Hatzalah. And there is a website, uhnygala.com, uhnygala.com. Again, uhnygala.com is a phone number, 646-833-7108. That's 646-833-7108. And there's an email and website. The email is office at israelrescue.org. And the other website is Israel rescue.org israelrescue.org circle the 24th of may it is always a great event uh when they when they say it's a heroes of israel gala they mean it a lot of great heroes who put their lives on the line and just put their you know even if they're not sacrificing their life god forbid we don't want anyone to have to sacrifice their life uh but they're sacrificing their uh their their time their family's life um and uh responding at a moment's notice uh, for any type of emergency, whether it's uh, Israel, Ukraine, Surfside, coming up on that first anniversary, and so many other situations where United Hatzalah gets involved and um, and and helps bring a positive resolution in very, very difficult circumstances. So again, it's IsraelRescue.org and the Gala website, and we suggest that everybody um, try to be there on the 24th 
of May. Very different, Ellie. Uh, very different than the, the circumstances that you just described earlier in terms of how you are trying to get in and out of Ukraine, how you are, you and your personnel are dealing with the, uh, the attacks and medical situations in Israel. All you're asking is for people to come and enjoy a night on Pier 60 in New York City. Sounds like we got the better part of the deal, frankly. <laughs> You'll be surprised now from how many people call me every day and tell me, Ellie, I want to come help. Take me to Ukraine. And I say, what, what, what do you want me to do in Ukraine with you? He says, I don't know. We'll do anything. I said, you know what? Start with the gala, and then we'll talk about Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> start, start with committing yourself to a couple of hours for the dinner, and then we'll talk about going to Ukraine. I actually, I actually like that. I want to see if you can handle this incredible smorgasbord, <laughs> exactly. and then we'll talk <laughs> That's actually a very good strategy on your part. It's obvious you have a lot of experience in this. Well, Ellie, what can I say? Kolekavod. I hope the event's a a great success. And um, and just you have thousands of people, thousands of people who have joined um, uh, United Hatzalah over the years, who are helping you do this noble work. Uh, stay safe, and we say that to all your members. Stay safe and um, and continue to help uh, uh, Jews both in Israel and around the world and around the world. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate being on your show, and I just want to tell you that I'm, I'm probably showing, I'm probably appearing in your show for the last twenty five years, wow. and I have tremendous gratitude to you and all your listeners who are religiously listening to you. I appreciate that. People very much. in Israel, in Europe, in America, everywhere are listening to you. So thank you so much for having me. Kolakavo, thank you so much. That's Ellie Beer, everybody. He's the founder of United Hatzalah of Israel. And uh, the gala is the 24th of May, and I hope it's a major success. A lot of great causes out there to get involved with, and I hope everybody out there finds a good one like this to uh, to help support. More coming up. You're listening to a uh, Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with, with uh, Ellie Beer. Rabbi Ari Khan, Kehilat Mishkan Ha'etrog in Israel. They suffered a terrible fire. We're trying to help them uh, rebuild help them raise money. Here's my conversation with Rabbi Ari Khan and a recent edition of JM in the AM. Here it is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, well, many of you might be familiar at this point with the fact that uh, our good friend Rabbi Ari Khan um, leads a synagogue, a congregation, in a community in Israel. And unfortunately, the uh, synagogue suffered a terrible, devastating fire. We'll get the details in a minute. There's now a charity campaign, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y, charity campaign, to support the rebuilding of a Kehilat Mishkan Ha'etrog in Yivat Zev in Israel. Rabbi Ari Khan, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. How are you? Good morning. Baruch Hashem. I'm extra sensitive these days to those who've suffered the... Um, uh, through fires and the devastating experience, and uh, we, we certainly felt terrible when we heard what happened to your synagogue. This, am I right that it happened uh, right after Shabbos Hagadol, just before Pesach? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, in order to you know fully appreciate the vicissitudes of our experience as Jews, the day before we had Shabbat brachos in the shul for my for my son. Oh my gosh! So we had Shabbat brachos, and the whole, both families were there. 
And uh, <laughs> what can I say? You know what? Baruch Hashem, it was only property, and Baruch Hashem was just the build, you know, the building and things inside, and nobody was there. It was an electrical fire that spread very quickly. And uh, you know what? You know, that's exactly what we say is that, you know, even when something happens, when God takes out his anger just on property, all you can say is Baruch Hashem. Look, what can I tell you? What you just described is exactly what we went through. Our studio burnt down because of an electrical fire. It happened in an instant. Um, and yes, thank God nobody was there. In a typical On a typical day, there would have been people there. This was uh, Sunday afternoon and nobody was there. And uh, yeah, and, 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 and you're right. And, and that perspective has certainly helped keep things going over here. But uh, nonetheless, it's a very painful experience. And I don't want people to. You, I don't want people did to. Did you know that I? Did you know that I posted afterwards, and I told people to donate to your cause. <laughs> I said, if you're interested in Jewish, the person who's doing more Jewish education than anyone else, Tanachem Siegel. Well, I appreciate that very much, and um, it, I just don't want people to to forget that there is that there's a lot of pain there, and that I, when when was when was your synagogue uh, founded? When was how long has it been around? It's around ten years. And and is everything gone? Is it one of those fires where literally it was completely consumed? How would you describe it? What I would say is as follows: You know what. It, it could be possible to rebuild, but it probably costs more money than is worth it. It was a, a caravan, so it was like a prefab. So, therefore, it, that's one of the reasons it went so quickly. Right. And almost all the things inside. The only thing that didn't really get damaged were the separate Torah, although, you know, I want to I pause there for a second, because when they were carried out, and the firemen came almost right away, and they were carrying them out, and they looked perfect, but they nonetheless suffered from the heat. I mean, there was no water on them, and there was no fire on them. So we all thought everything was great until a sofa started looking at them, and then you realized, especially the older ones, yeah. they did not handle the heat that well. So uh, as of now, of the four Sifrito, we have one was fixed and is operable. The other ones were still waiting for it. Did you have Tzfilot on Pesach? Yes, we did. What happened is that there was another building that had a different menu in it that went through some kind of a construction now, and they had moved out. And it was almost finished, so they didn't move back, and we moved back into the other one. And, you know, it's good for a temporary time. It was a Bnei Akiva sniff. The Bnei Akiva has a menu, so, you know, they let us take over for, uh, for a week or so. Wow. There's an emergency campaign going on, everybody. That emergency campaign is a uh, an effort to rebuild... Um, Kilat Mishkan Hayatrog in Givat Zev. Why is it called Mishkan Hayatrog, by the way? The street that I live on is called Etrog Street. <laughs> I am actually on the corner of Etrog and Lula. <laughs> there you go. You're, you're always surrounded by uh, active mitzvot, to say the least. Rabbi Ari Khan is with us. He leads the congregation, and they are committed to a rebuild. There's a charity campaign, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y. Go to charity.com. Charity.com slash K.Etrogue. That's how we got there, and that's how likely you'll get there. Again, a charity. If, if not, just email me, folks. Just email Nahum and Nahum com. I want this campaign to be a big success. Uh, we are extra sensitive uh, to those who've suffered through fires and a congregation, a shul, a synagogue that's gone through this, especially in Israel. We would love to assist in getting them the necessary funds to rebuild. Charity.com, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com slash K dot etrogue, E-T, 
ROG. Um, and they are rebuilding and they are committed to uh, to do so, and I hope that um, everybody will participate. Is there? I, I, I sometimes get frustrated when asked this question, but is there a timetable for your rebuilding process? Well, we're, we're going to be building as opposed to rebuilding. Right. And what I mean by that is the municipality allocated, allocated for us some land, and we have some government money that we can get in order to help build. So right now what we really need is money order to get all the plans and all the engineering and all the technical things in line and then hopefully we'll be able to go up with the buildings yeah that's the goal and sometimes it takes longer than you think sometimes it takes more money than you think everybody out there uh we can certainly show support and give a tremendous amount of both financial and moral support to a congregation in israel that we we feel close to we've never been there and yet we still feel close to because of my many decades relationship with ari khan um and uh, those of you who've enjoyed his lectures his shiurim his online activity his svarim uh even if you've never been in the synagogue uh do what you can to help them rise from the ashes and get their beloved shul up as soon as possible charity.com c-h-a-r-i-d-y.com slash k that's the letter k dot etrog e-t-r-o-g that's charity.com c-h-a-r-i-d-y.com slash k dot etrog e-t-r-o-g so we went through the practical aspect of this rabbi khan we went through the perspective aspect of this now give us the religious aspect of this uh when i i know the eight simon avanim is part of that i get it we want god to take out whatever god forbid anger or whatever xerah he might have we want him to take it out on things instead of people that's obvious Uh, but knowing you there has to be a deeper religious perspective that you've thought of um regarding uh, this this seeming disaster. I, I, I hesitate to call it that because so many of us are encouraged to look forward to how much better things will be once things, in fact, are built and or rebuilt. What could you tell us from a religious standpoint regarding this experience? Well, one of, I, I'll tell you something. I think you went through a lot more pain than I did. And my, it's interesting because my father keeps calling me and checking on me. Are you okay and whatever? And uh, I immediately, when this happened, just focused on the rebuilding. Let's okay, we're moving forward. But part of it, and I said this to the congregation as well, we called it a mishkan, and the mishkan was temporary. And then afterwards, you know, it took us a long time to build a Beit HaMikdash. It took us more time than we should have. Our community was, was allocated this land a couple of years ago. And uh, we did not move forward. You know, we were a little bit complacent and okay in the temporary place. And even though it was small and, and so on and not com- so comfortable, you know, we said, okay, well, you know, people sort of, well, everyone was waiting for someone else to do something. And, uh, you know, part of my feeling is, okay, n- now we need to go forward and uh, not build the Mishkan anymore. Now we're going to build the Beit Knesset. Now we're going to build something which is uh, has much more permanence. Wow. Well, I understand that perspective, and uh, <laughs> we all, all we could do is not only wish you the best of luck, but participate in the in the in the building, rebuilding, whatever term you want to use. And I hope everybody out there who's listening will help the Kilat Mishkan Hayatrog in Givat Zev, Israel. In fact, uh, build their beloved Beit Knesset. Um, I, I guess you could say that the that the fire sort of lit a fire under everybody to get going, huh? <laughs> It, 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 cer- it certainly did. And, you know, there was one guy, and I say this totally facetiously, but there was one fellow who was always pushing, we need to go forward, we need to build, and so on. 
And when the fire happened, I said, where were you that morning? And, and you know, he was horrified <laughs> that I could ask him that. But it was, uh, he's actually one of the people that responded uh, very, very quickly. I'll tell you something about the shul, which is interesting. Yeah. It's a combination of people who are Ashkenazim and Sardim, people who wear kippots for good and people who wear black kippot. And if you were to see the shul, the beauty of the way that people come together and form one community and the respect, it's unbelievable. A large percentage of the guys with kippots for good, not just served in the army, but you're talking about officers and high-ranking officers. And uh, most of the, the Haredi fellows were not. But a lot of them are involved in other kinds of things. So, for example, there's somebody who's one of the fellows who runs Zaka. And when we make a Mishaveh, Fachayit Sahal, in our shul, Fachayit Sahal, and for all volunteers and all the volunteer organizations as well. Right. And when you, see, when you see a guy who's a high-ranking officer recognizing the volunteer work of you know some of the other fellows in the shul, you realize you know, to what extent there really is mutual respect and, uh, and, and really love. And that's, that's really the most special thing about the community, is that there's just so much respect and so much... Uh, um, unity over there, and uh, that was one of the reasons that, uh, as a community, we're able to to move forward and to focus. Okay, now let's go. Now, what do we need to do? And let's go and and do it. And uh, in, in that sense, it really is very special. Very special to you know. Pretty amazing. Only in Israel, as we would say. Uh, again, <laughs> again, everybody, the charity campaign to support the building of Kilat Mishkan HaEtrog in Givat Zev after their devastating fire is charity.com, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com slash K, that's the letter K, dot Etrog, E-T-R-O-G, slash K dot Etrog. Rabbi Khan, let us know what we could do. Continued Hatzlacha with the building process and... Uh, uh, like I said, this is a um, uh, this this is an episode that I'm sure you feel like we felt over here that deserves a lot of perspective and a lot of uh, deep thought, but it also de- deserves uh, some immediate action. and uh, And I see that you and the congregation are, are are acting as quickly as you can. Yeah, let me just say two things about that. One is immediately came Pesach, and, and some people thought, of course, about the burning the chametz and so on. But right after Pesach in Israel, we get to Yom Hashoah, and then we get to Yom Hazikaron. Right. And, you know, how much can, again, right, when I said before about property versus things which are so much heavier, yeah. you know, we, you have to take it in perspective. And another thing that I want to say is that uh, the listeners don't know that you reached out and they don't know about, you know, your kindness and your generosity and your, uh, and your spirit. And uh, I was quite sincere when I, when I had reached out to you when you suffered the fire saying that Nachum Siegel is involved in education beyond what almost anybody else does or can imagine. You educate the American Jewish community and that should give you a lot more strength and a lot more resources and to move forward. And uh, you know that I love you and you know that uh, I respect you. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Amen. Thank you so much, Rabbi Khan. Uh, I, look okay. for, I look forward to visiting the new synagogue, please, God. Absolutely. Just like, just, just like I hope you look forward to visiting our new studio the next time you come into lecture. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Rabbi Ari Khan, everybody, spiritual leader of Congregation Narkilat Mishkan Ha'etrog and Givad Zev. Uh, they are rebuilding. They are rebuilding after their devastating pre-Pesach fire. Charity.com slash K dot etrog. Charity, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y dot com slash letter K dot etrog, E-T-R-O-G. And you are listening to JM in the AM.
That was my conversation with Rabbi Ari Khan. Rabbi Gideon Black joined us recently to talk about the importance of NCSY during the NCSY Day of Giving. Here's my conversation with Rabbi Gideon Black on JM in the AM, here on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, our friends at NCSY have a couple of big days coming up, to say the least. Two days to give. That's two days to give. We're referring to May 10th and May 11th. It's NCSY Giving Day 2022 with a goal of $3 million and a lot of great NCSY regions and chapters being supported. Rabbi Gideon Black is with us live via telephone. He serves as CEO of New York NCSY. Rabbi Black, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum. Great to be with you this morning. I appreciate that, and I noticed that the uh, fundraising effort has already kicked off, has already begun. It seems that some of your chapters and regions around the country and around the world are already uh, in full swing in terms of NCSY Giving Day. 100%. We sent out emails before Shabbos and on Sunday just to launch and announce the campaign, and you know, people click a link and, and want to get given. There's a tremendous sense of goodwill in the community for the service that NCSY is doing for kids, for teens, for so many communities. So thank God we've already um, had some good momentum uh, going into the kickoff this morning at 10 a.m. and throughout hopefully today and tomorrow just want to really ride that wave and uh, God willing hit our goal um, for the entire NCSY of raising million. Yeah, the uh, campaign actually begins uh, just about uh, 90 minutes from now, everybody, but believe it or not, NCSY is already way over 40% of their goal. They're just over 1.3 million of the $3 million, and we're asking everybody to join the over 2,700 people who've already donated uh, to join the the people who are going to be uh, donating over the next couple of days to NCSY Day of Giving 2022 and support the great work of NCSY. And as you'll see, uh, there are so many different regions, chapters, around the world, around the country that are being supported uh, through this effort. Um, Rabbi Black, uh, first of all, tell us about New York NCSY. You know, we wonder, especially in light of the uh, recent times and the difficulties uh, over the last couple of years of getting people together in order to do programming, Shabbatonim, etc. What is the status right now of New York NCSY? Yeah, um, the status is that the New York NCSY is growing. Um, teens are looking for opportunities to be engaged. The teenage population has t- took an especially hard hit um, yeah. during during the pandemic. Um, the the socialization, the community building, just hanging out with friends, big shalaton, and those type of things, obviously, were really difficult. Um, during the pandemic and for so many of us during our teenage years we had those experiences without thinking too much about it we took those opportunities for granted Um, teens uh, who've who've been in there you know people who've been 15, 16, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old over the last couple of years over the pandemic are um, missed out on on some of those opportunities so look on the one hand NCSY did an amazing job pivoting and providing content online and building communities in a smaller way, in a more customized way, where in a safe, socially distant way, outdoors, in parks, and um, smaller Shabbaton and those kind of things. But we're also seeing an energy roaring back where people, thank God, want to be um, together. And um, and as things stand, it, it seems, thank God, safe to do so. Um, so we're, uh, we're, we're happy to see that momentum and to be, be together together. Uh, 
in person again. So in New York, for instance, uh, under your leadership, are, are the traditional Shabbatonim back, and are they back on a, on a robust schedule the way we remember from years ago? So yes and no. They are, we're doing Shabbatonim. Um, this coming Shabbos NTSY is, is uh, running a big summer training Shabbaton, for example, and we've had some amazing Shabbatons this year. Um, we had one upstate at Mount Laurel in the Poconos, and we had um, one in Tarrytown, the 4G Shabbaton, which is our all-girls division, which was incredible, and a huge crowd of girls from 33 different day schools across um, across the tri-state area. And at the same time, we're seeing that maybe there's been a shift and that teens actually want to hang out more in their own communities or with their own friends in a more more sort of boutique way. You know, the, the big hotel Shabbatonim of the past are still important at, at sort of peak moments of the year, but um, we're seeing interest in having, instead of a Shabbaton for 200 people in a, in a hotel, um, you know, getting 30 teams together from a specific chapter and, and renting out an Airbnb and having a leadership training Shabbaton for that, etc. So, so I, I think culturally things have, have shifted as well in terms of how teams today want to um, want to spend time with one another. There may not be the same magnetic pull that I want to, oh, I've grown up in Long Island, I really want to hang out with people from, from you know, Bergen County or, or vice versa. There isn't necessarily that same social drive to, to get together um, for, for people from all different neighborhoods. I think we a lot of teams get their fix of that over the summer, and NTSY provide running over 20, 21 amazing summer programs this year. We're sending um, 2,700 kids uh, to Israel this summer from across the United States, which is remarkable. Um, and kudos to to David Cutler and the New York summer, the NTSY summer team for uh, steering that in an incredible, incredible way. More than any other, more teams going to Israel for, through NTSY than any other Jewish organization. Um, so we feel blessed to be able to make that happen. Um, so, but on a local level, on a regional level within New York, we're seeing. Um, on the one hand, an interest and a passion for community events, for big-scale things, but at the same time, maybe maybe culturally, um, the way teams want to gather has, has shifted a little bit. More, more designed for specific groups, and, and we want to be current and respect, um, respect the trends. Well, with that in mind, uh, you'd, you would need the local chapters and regions to be even stronger and more self-sufficient than in the old days because you're relying more on, on again, as you just described, on there being uh, more localized and more boutique events uh, compared to larger ones. That would be, I assume, the responsibility of the larger organization. With that in mind, the NCSY Day of Giving uh, today and tomorrow uh, is even more important uh, than it's ever been because every one of the... Um, uh, different regions and and uh, groups that are being supported through the day of giving really need to have uh, their own strong backbone of support. Wouldn't you say? A thousand percent. Um, number one. That's why we've in New York NTSY, why that's we we've actually divided our staff. Thank God we have a great staff of twenty six different um, team members, and and we're splitting up sort of color war style into different groups and 
they have call centers tonight in, in Brooklyn, in the Five Towns, in Great Neck, in, in Plainview, out in the middle of Long Island, and in Manhattan, so that each, in Westchester, so that each chapter has its own sort of call center, um, staffed by teens and, and, and um, advisors and volunteers who are part of that community. So we want to sort of lean into that um, chapter-specific programming and chapter-specific pride. Each each um, group will have their own swag and merch, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So if, uh, if our listeners uh, receive a phone call or two or uh, possibly receive one or more emails regarding the day of giving, they should not, a giving day rather, uh, they should not be surprised because there's going to be a lot of people reaching out and trying to get as many people involved as possible. Yeah, we'll, we'll try not to duplicate our efforts at a scale like we're, we're at. Um, that's inevitable, so we, we apologize in advance. <laughs> but we really are just excited to engage as many members of the community as possible. You know, the, as much as our programming is, is top, top of the industry and incredible stuff, at the same time, you know, costs are high and there's, um, a need we feel a deep-seated need to in, to not turn any kid away. Any family who wants their their team to be in a growth-oriented environment, whether we're talking about yeshiva day school kids who are you know who are well looked after by the school and the shul sort of community, but are looking for growth and opportunities for ruach outside of shul and school, or the work that we do with public school teams, kids who do not have the benefit of a Jewish education, and we want to engage them and introduce them to Israel and introduce them to amazing growth opportunities um, for themselves. Like this, this can't just be based on who can, um, who can afford it and who can easily write, write a, the, the check and pay um, the costs of, of summer programs and gap year programs and, and the Shabbatonim that we run. And so we're really, um, we want to make access to, to what NCSY offers available for everyone. And so a large, proportion of the funds that we're raising is for scholarships and to ensure that every no teen is turned away, that every family has an opportunity um, to gift their, their teen with a with growth opportunities for their own Yiddishkeit through NCSY. The official website is upreaching.com slash NCSY, upreaching.com slash NCSY. But again, if you're in this audience, chances are you'll see emails, you'll see uh, websites that are going around, and you'll certainly, or web addresses, I should say, and you'll certainly, uh, you, you may be the uh, recipient of a phone call later on for NCSY Giving Day. It's today and tomorrow, two days to give to help them reach the $3 million goal. It supports, as you'll see on the site, a whole host of great regions and chapters in NCSY, really internationally, including New York NCSY, where Rabbi Gideon Black is the leader uh, and we encourage everybody to give and to give as uh, generously as possible and i know that uh, we've made this point during this conversation rabbi black but i'm just going to say it a little differently uh, these days there are so many programs and so many formal uh, structured programs uh that uh, that uh, appeal to teens uh of all backgrounds um, and, and, and frankly, some of them, uh, you know, uh, parents out there would prefer if their teens would not pursue, let's put it that way, um, to have a strong structured program like NCSY, which is attractive to teenagers, is now more important than ever. Uh, we always make the point that, uh, that as opposed to years ago, downtime is extremely dangerous. 
uh, for for teens, uh, both within and without the community, and the and 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 uh, the point that you made that you don't want to turn anybody down scholarship wise uh, reiterates that that you understand the danger of somebody who's in the wrong program or somebody who's not in any program. So with NCSY, a program we can all be proud of, let's make sure to keep it as strong as possible so that those teens are in the right place and heading in the right direction. Uh, I know that what I'm saying might a thousand sound, percent. Yeah, it might sound vague to certain people, but I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, a hundred percent. Look, the, the this is an, a, a generation of, of teens with tremendous talent, tremendous creativity, and passion and interest in in growth. At the same time, we're seeing a pandemic of loneliness and of mental health issues, and you know, for, for kids who are being raised on platforms like Snapchat and TikTok and and um, other social media, it's 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 hard. It's just harder to be a teen today than it was five years ago, fifteen years ago, and certainly fifty years ago. Yeah. And so we want to just be in that space where we can energize and inspire these kids. And and it's the responsibility of the entire Jewish community. If we care about the Jewish future, then we have to care about NTSY. And we're just tremendously grateful for anyone and everyone who steps up over the next 48 hours um, to ensure that we can really inspire the Jewish future in a meaningful and rich and exciting way. Well said. Uh, everybody out there, it's upreaching.com slash NCSY. Give now, even though it doesn't officially start till 10 a.m. Eastern time. Plenty of people have already given, and uh, uh, it is Giving Day 2022 for NCSY. Two days to help them raise $3 million. Uh, you'll certainly get some phone calls and some emails. Respond accordingly and make sure NCSY is as strong as ever on this giving day. Rabbi Gideon Black is CEO of New York NCSY. Thanks so much for joining us this morning and good luck to you and the entire organization on this effort. Thanks so much, Nachum. We'll need it and we always appreciate your support and partnership in all we do. My pleasure. Big believer in what you do. More coming up. It is a uh, Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM, day 24 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 24. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. More coming up at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Gideon Black. Charlie Harari was on recently to discuss the life of Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein. Here's that conversation on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. We have a special treat in that we get to speak to Charlie in the 8 o'clock hour this morning and hear from him again in the 9 o'clock hour. And the reason I invited him on for the 8 o'clock hour this morning is because so many of us have been hearing about the um, incredible life and career of Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein. And um, I, I've been familiar with the Wallerstein family and go back with the Wallerstein family quite a long time, but I had not really um, uh, kept up with Zachary over the last many, many years. Uh, outside of what I had heard, like most other people, that he was doing noble and incredible work in the Jewish community, especially in what we would call Jewish education. And um, he passed away, as we know, last week, and I felt it was only proper to ask somebody who knew him well and could articulate what he did well to come on the air and uh, let us be inspired by the life and accomplishments of Rabbi Zachary Wallerstein. With that in mind, Charlie Harari, welcome back to JM in the AM. Charlie, you there? Uh, Hello, Nachum. It is so great to be on your show. Oh, there you uh, go. Thanks for the opportunity. 
You can hear me, right? You, you're, we're cool? I can hear you. Totally. Um, when did you first meet Rabbi Zachary Wallerstein? Uh, maybe uh, 12, 10, uh, feels like almost a decade ago, maybe longer. And uh, it, Rabbi Wallerstein ran, remember the campaign Data Disconnect? Remember that campaign yes, we did? Yes. Yes. You and I discussed it on the air. Yeah, yeah. So he, I got a call from one of his top lieutenants, a, a wonderful woman named Elisheva Perlman, that she wanted me to be involved in, uh, if I wanted to be here, well, I said, absolutely, of course I've heard of him. And I went down to see him in his office, and um, it's been an incredible ride since. And that was a, um, I, I remembered how how incredibly powerful and impactful that campaign was, even for those who didn't disconnect, by the way, just, just to, just to think of, you know, transmitting that message to the community that, you know what, it's better for us if we would disconnect. And obviously that's just one of so many projects that he was involved with. How would you, you know, it's, it's funny because, um, to many of us on the outside, um, we, we could just say he was an educator. We could just say he was somebody who saw a need or a niche or uh, you know, a desperation on, uh, on the part of, of, of many uh, among Jewish youth. And, you know, he founded a school, a seminary, a program, a, uh, you know, a weekend program, Shabbatonim, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it seems after his passing, with all that's been told to us about him, including by you, by the way, in a beautiful eulogy, it, it, it seems like it was just so much more than that. How would you classify what he was on paper and what he really was in terms of the whole package? So I, I, he was, a, he was a, a crusader for Hashem. He was a warrior. He was indefatigable in his quest to make every single person feel uh, loved by Hashem and welcomed by our community. There are so many kids that, for whatever reasons, don't have that, weren't given the right whatever situations. And there's so many more than we think, right? They, they exist, they look great on the outside, but there's so many people that are disenfranchised in a way. And he felt it so deeply in who he was that it was wrong and he wanted to fix it. He was a businessman. He had a company. He had, he had, a, he had a life. He, he could have been a normal guy and <laughs> been, you know, a respected man in the community. No one would have said otherwise. He wasn't... He, he wasn't designed for this. He, he, this whole thing started because a couple of women asked him to give a sheer, you know, 25 years ago on Tisha B'Av, and he looked around, and so many people showed up, and he saw such a dearth of programming for women um, that he made a next program, and a next program, and a next program, and then as he started to get involved, he started to see the need. And what a normal person would have done has been like, listen, this is my boundaries. Like, I can only do what I can do. I'm one person. He just didn't think like that. He, he said, if Hashem needs it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push myself. And he became the advisor, the counselor, the, the resource to thousands and thousands of people on top of his business, on top of his learning and davening, on top of being a great husband, and on top of running four or five institutions, you know, on, 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 on his own will. It, it was it, like this incredible example of how one could stretch oneself beyond any perceived limitations when you're fighting Russia. Charlie Harari is with us. We're talking about the life of Rabbi Zachariah Wallace. And by the way, I should point out that there is a campaign to keep his work going. I I was astounded yeah. when I when I heard of what of what the goal was because uh, with all the institutions he had and all the different uh, educational avenues that he created, uh, we're talking about a big budget. We're talking about over six million dollars that they're looking to raise. 
And uh, pay attention. Pay attention to your email. Pay attention to uh, social media. There are efforts all over the place to make sure that that goal is reached. And we're certainly encouraging people to give to uh, keep Rabbi Wallerstein's legacy alive. And if anybody needs um, uh, you know, uh, us to send the link to them, you could certainly email us, nachum at nachumsegel.com. I... Um, you know, it's funny what you say about the uh, fighting for Hashem and, you know, creating uh, creating whatever is necessary in order to accomplish, um, you know, the goal in order in order to, to, do, to do that fight. You, you with 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 all the institutions that can be created, it, it seems like and, and and we have great educational institutions and we have a lot of wonderful programs out there. But if you don't have that person behind it with that extreme passion and fire, somebody who, based again on what I heard through the eulogies, you know, never slept uh, or, or sleep was not a priority. Maybe maybe that's a better way of saying it. <laughs> sleep was not a priority. And, uh, you know, you, you need somebody with that incredible drive in order to even show the young people you're trying to reach just how sincere you are. You get what I'm saying? That you, you, you have Totally. You, I mean, tell yeah, you're, uh, Malcolm, you're 100% right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and that was such a part of who he was, was his incredible, almost piercing care for you and for Hashem at the same time. It was an incredible thing to see. When so somebody's it, so bound with Hashem. Now, I was going to say, it must have been, I don't want to say debilitating, that's not fair. It must have been challenging for him. If he internalized the the difficulties that people approached him with, it must have been he, he must have almost taken it personally every single time you know someone approached him with a problem that needed to be solved. Oh no, no question. I mean, like I was saying, we would travel sometimes to do you know he had this thing called Avinu Malkano, right. which was a series of speeches that took place around Yom Noraim time. He did it to inspire people, and then in between each location that he went to. You know, when he landed somewhere, people would find out and try to get to him. And so he would be meeting with people the entire day and speaking at night, getting on a red eye and doing it again in the next city. But not like once or twice, like for like 10 days across the world. And then in between getting phone calls, like you'd sit with him at lunch and his phone would never stop. Like it would ne- you would go to like dinner with him or lunch in, uh, in these places. And the guy would go and go, you're Ray Wallace. And he goes, yeah, he goes, it's on me. He goes, why? Goes because you saved my sister's life. He's like, who's your sister? Like, meaning like, it, it was such a constant passion that he had, and the way he expressed it behind the podium or in front of somebody one on one, and that was what was so unique about him. He wasn't like a guy behind the podium, and then like one on one, he was a totally different person. It was the same guy, like you know, what I'm saying like it was the same passion and the same purpose to do this. And yes, he took it so personally, which is what drove him. Like, and he had, he's famous, he told me this story, and it's going, this story's going around, but he told this to me years ago, that one time you're sitting in a room trying to raise money, and um, one of the guys was making fun of him, like, all this money for just a few kids, you know, and it happened to be that the kid he was trying to save was that guy's daughter. Like, the guy didn't even know what his daughter was up to. And here he is mocking him for making so much of a big deal for a few kids, and he's thinking... It's your daughter I'm trying to save. And he said, you have to look at every decision as if it was your daughter. And that's how he was able to move mountains. I mean, he, he, he moved mountains. He started rehab centers. He started schools. 
because he saw each kid as if it were his daughter. You know, and yeah, if it were his son. Yeah, hundred percent. And by the way, that's the um, he once said that right when they, when they when they're using that line about raising money as if it's your daughter. That was that was something that he actually had said, right? Yeah, he said that in a speech. He first said it in a meeting, and then told the story over without using names in a speech. But I've heard it from him. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times we'd be talking about something, and I'd be thinking to myself, you're insane. Like, yeah. you're going around the whole world for a kid. Like, a kid. Like, he's changing his whole life. He's flying across the world. He's starting center. And he'd look at me. Like, he'd almost, like, know what I'm thinking. He'd be like, each kid is Hashem's daughter. Each kid is Hashem's son. Like, he, we say it. He believed it. Like, right. he really lived his life, which is such an unsustainable thing. But, and you know what the best part is that it didn't take away from his family. His family didn't feel taken to the side. His wife didn't feel pushed to the side. He was able somehow, his way, to include his family and to be there for his family. But at the same time, I mean, he once told me a story that he came home at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, at 1 o'clock in the morning, and then got a call. He had to go to a psych ward to take care of a kid. Went to the psych ward, right, and then drove to his house. He said that he pulled into his driveway at 3 a.m. He said, Shachos was like in three hours. He said he didn't have enough cars to go into his house. So he pulled, this is in his driveway. So he pulled his car seat back and slept in his car because <laughs> he didn't have enough strength to walk into his house. Like, this not, that's not normal. That, that, that didn't happen like with the whole time, right? This is a guy who lived, you know, and he told it to me like as if it was a normal part of his year. There are just some nights that I don't get home because I'm running around you know, and it's, he didn't even say it like as if it was a, a, a tirka. He said it as if it was a privilege, which was unbelievable. That's how he took it. Rabbi Wallerstein, LegacyFund.org, by the way, folks, that's the website, Rabbi Wallerstein, LegacyFund.org, Rabbi Wallerstein, LegacyFund.org, if you want to see these activities and uh, the incredible institutions that he created continue, and I think everybody in the community and everyone in the sound of my voice should certainly pitch in, Rabbi Wallerstein, LegacyFund.org, um, so important to keep these going. Charlie, with, with so many thousands seeking him out, I, I, I don't want to say this from a negative standpoint. I, I, I think you have a way of turning this into a positive, frankly. But what does it say about our community? What does it say about how how we don't realize just how many youngsters are going through challenging situations and are, are lost out there and are not on the right path out there? And you know, and he understood that obviously, and and, and attracted thousands um, with his words and with his advice. Um, what would you say it says about our community and, and the work that we need to do in this area? It's, we have to, we're always growing. A lot of it is, is, is parents and families and, you know, we always have to be moving and trying to bring our kids to a place of health and happiness. Um, but I think we're at a place where people are responding. Um, but yeah, we could always be more. Either the level of, of empathy and the level of programming that we, we, we always need to make sure that all of our kids are growing because we have, we have a big challenge ahead of us, right? We as the Jewish community, Want, uh, we want to be successful in multiple levels, right? It's not an easy task to be spiritually successful and religiously successful and, and financially successful to maintain a lifestyle, right? There's so many things that we want, and we, we, we strive, and Hashem pushes us to strive for such an incredible excellence that it's hard, and institutions can't keep up, and institutions can't you know, get the money in and be able to deliver such bespoke education. And so 
it, it, it's it's the reality of, of, of a nation that's constantly in battling every which way and still growing to be greatness and being a light into the nation. Um, and I think we're moving in the right direction, in my opinion, institutionally. I think we're moving into a much greater and, and, and more empathetic place for, for kids. Um, and our Wallerstein is an example of others. There are those that are out there. I don't know how many. There are those that are out there that have dedicated their lives clearly to this. And he's a model of it. And I, I hope, I really hope that other people now will look at Roy Wallerstein and say, hey, I want to do that too. I want to have this type of impact. And you don't have to do it for a million people. You don't have to be a Wallerstein. Even if you do it for five people, it's still changing the world. And that's, by the way, how, what he would say. He would say, what's a million people? Like, he doesn't even see, he wouldn't even feel like that. Right. He would just see lots of ones. You know, he would be like, no, it's just one. He, you know what I'm saying? He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't even think that he's helping thousands. Because in his world, he's just helping the next person. He's helping one multiple times. Um, you exactly. Know, you know, uh, someone said to me that, um, you know, he had this idea, I'm sure you're familiar with it, of renting out the bowling alleys so that kids would have a place to go to on a Saturday night, you know, in an exclusive atmosphere as opposed to, you know, some of the places that people like to hang out. Um, yeah. And when, when the funding dried up, you know, you would you would think that it would be a it would be a tough sell, so to speak. But this specific person told me that they went ahead and they arranged a fundraiser to keep the bowling alley concept open because they understood that that his strategies when it came to these things were really effective. Uh, a lot of people would poo poo. Oh, you know, you're, you're, what are you sponsoring bowling nights for kids? And that's important in terms of their <laughs> development, in terms of the uh, you know getting them on the right track, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but if that's what it took, if it was if it was a you know out of the box concept like that, he was ready to implement it and 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 make it happen. Oh yeah, he he was famous for this. He would empower people to do things that other people would be like, "You got to be kidding me!" You know, to to dance or to write poetry or to get involved. Like he was always taking, and that's one of his godlessness was that he saw you as a unique diamond, and he saw himself as the guy who was going to try to help polish it and he never tried to make you somebody else he, it was an amazing thing he you, and when you were with him you felt it you know sometimes you're with somebody that you feel that there is something else they want you to be right you kind of feel that right. you're not enough right even if they don't say it like even if they don't make you feel bad right if, if you're with them long enough you kind of sense <laughs> that they're thinking like when are you going to step up right right he, he wasn't like that he was always underneath you Right, he was always supporting you. He was always saying, "You're much, you're much more incredible than you think." And that was how he built his schools. He saw these some of these girls that the world really shunned, and he saw something in them. But like, legitimately, he wasn't faking it to get them to be from. Right, he legitimately saw greatness, and then they felt that, and they because they felt that they sort of saw to themselves, and. That's the type, that's how he thought. So he that's a, it's his way to go. What am I knocking out the bowling? They're going out anyways. Let's make it more a more of a, of a better culture. He 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 saw the world from the position of where you were sitting versus the position of where where he was sitting, and that was part of his godless to do that almost almost always right, and 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 still at the same time to be super from and to care about everything. Like he wasn't, you know, he he didn't come from a place of giving up. He, but he saw people so wonderfully that they saw it in themselves. 
Pretty amazing. Charlie Harari is with us. It's Rabbi Wallerstein Legacy Fund.org or by Wallerstein Legacy Fund.org. We felt it was appropriate to get this audience involved in the work of Rabbi Wallerstein after everything that we have heard uh, over the last uh, a week or so. And uh, Charlie is somebody who worked with Rabbi Wallerstein very closely and uh, can attest to the fact that he um, was exactly uh, the way that everybody is describing him. Um, the uh, the the fact that he could look at somebody, a young person, and look at them as a diamond, look at them as you know with potential, look at them with you know greatness. Even though, of course, uh, they were still at a point where, on the exterior, they were involved in in, in things we wouldn't want anybody involved with, um, is is such a, a unique and amazing trait. Um, what does that tell us about us? We as parents, we as as you know, people in the community who who deal with younger people at times in different venues. If if we would just turn that switch a little bit like that, and have a positive attitude even toward those who at the moment might be disappointing us, um, the the chances for things ending up in a good place are much greater, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you just hit on you just hit on the nail, and that's something that's so critical. I think that's the golden ring, if you will, of parenting and education, which is the hardest thing in the world to get, which is the ability to see the greatness in somebody when they're disappointing you. That's it. Like you just nailed it, right? When when a kid's like sort of getting there, you can always like say, "Come on, you got this." When a kid's doing great, it's always easy to to support. But when a kid's disappointing, to still see their greatness even though you're disappointed in their actions and that's a difference between what they do and who they are, that takes a great, a great set of eyes, right? Those are spiritual eyes to see who somebody is, even if what they do is not corresponding and to know in your core that that thing that that person looking at is a piece of Hashem and maybe they're acting that way for reasons that are totally beyond what you think. And he proved it time and time and time again. He proved it time and again. You take somebody who on the surface seems like they're one way, you don't know their life. You don't know the nuances of their development. You don't know what they went through. If you just focus on who they are, they'll shock you. And he did. And it was amazing. And there were times he did it in, in 15 minutes. Like, I'm not saying that everyone had to go through, you know, an institute. There were times that he sat with some 15, 20 minutes and, and hit right in and changed the person. Because that person never had anybody believe in it before, you know? Like, they never saw that. And he, 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 he spotted it like you can't believe. Like, he was an, I mean, he told me things and how he was able to size up situations that were like, it was unbelievable. I did it on people. They were like, how did you know? Like, holy cow, this stuff really works. Like, <laughs> he really knew when someone said that they hate Hashem, that they never really hate Hashem. Like, he knew where it came from because he saw that them in a way that even they didn't see themselves. So when they themselves said, I'm not enough or I can't, he never even bought it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So like he was able to immediately see past it because he never even bought their own rhetoric. You know what I'm saying? He, never, yeah. he, he couldn't, so they felt bad about themselves. He couldn't even believe that. Yes. It was, it was like, a, it was like watching like a, a, someone's like a magician operate because when you believe in people so much, you you see things in them that they don't see in themselves. Yeah, and he wasn't he he didn't shy away from discussing his own challenging situations in his life, which I think also you know yeah. when 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 someone makes it when someone makes themselves real when they when they portray themselves as a regular human being, you know with 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 um, positives and with flaws and everything in between. 
I think that really helps the youth in our community, you know, relate to somebody when they're willing to be open yeah. and open and honest about, hey, you know, I know what this is all about, and uh, you know, and, and we're going to get through this. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. I, remember, I was once with him on a Shabbaton. He ran these these famous Shabbatons. I mean, I, I wish he would have came to one. They were Ornava um, Shabbatons, and the the, the 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 crown jewel of the program was the Friday night Q and A, right? And the first time when he goes, "Don't plan to go to sleep," I said, "Yeah, right. I've been to Q and As before." He goes, "No, seriously." And it's a all you can ask, no end Q and A. When I went into one, we went. I finished. I think at four a.m. Sometimes they go straight to Shachar's. <laughs> right? And people come out. It's unbelievable. And I, you have to see it to believe it. Hundreds of girls, women, you know, in the crowd ask whatever you want, nothing is pebble. And, and three to five, you know, people in the front answering. It's, and it's fun and it's cry and you laugh. It's unbelievable. So I was, at, I was at one with him and a girl asked a certain question. And it related to a challenge that he went through in his life. And it was embarrassing to talk about it. And he got up and said, I want to tell you what I went through. And I couldn't, I, when I tell you, I couldn't believe my eyes. Here is Rabbi Wallerstein, the head of this program in front of three, 400 people, telling over something that he ch- was challenged with. In order to give this girl physic that she's not alone, I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it. Wow. And I went to him and I'm like, how did you do that? He goes, what are you talking about? What, I can't be me? It's going to help her. Like he literally put himself out there. How many details? How many people would think a million times before ever doing that in public? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! To even make a reference to that in public, unbelievable. And it and it didn't. I said this to the the husband. He, you know, we play chess. You know, chess of like, what if I say this and this happens and this and this happens and this this happens? He didn't play chess. (laughs) He never played chess. He just did what was right. <laughs> like, he, he, he let Hashem worry about chess. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just focused on the next move. And sometimes it blew up and people get upset because he said something that they didn't like and whatever, whatever, whatever. But it never came from a desire to be controversial. He wasn't like a lahachasnik. Right. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't trying. He just spoke what he thought was truth, and he allowed the chips to fall where Hashem made them fall. And as a result, people ran to him because there are some people that are craving honesty and authenticity and he he lived with it and so they wanted him to tell him the truth you know it ended up being one of his greatest strengths but i gotta tell you i almost never saw that before and between me and you i almost never saw that again yeah that i'm sure uh charlie harari's with us talking about everybody wallerstein uh, Rabbi Wallerstein Legacy Fund.org or by Wallerstein Legacy Fund.org. Finally, Charlie, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot. This is something that you're not necessarily um, uh, going to know, but I would assume that based on your observation, you're fully confident that uh, there's an infrastructure in place and great people who he uh, worked with that can keep all of this going because people are going to be giving generously and all we want is to see that these programs continue to be successful. Absolutely. He has a great team. He has a partner in life. His name is Yankee Elephant, who's an absolute topic, who is his right hand and partner in Chavrusa. And he's very much, you know, still a very big part of him, his family. And, and he's got great on him. And he's got, a, he's got a great team. He's got a great group of dedicated people around him. Uh, it's, it, the key right now is the, fun, is the finances. That was sort of what he took upon himself. And between me and you, many times pulled it out of his pocket. 
when he couldn't make any make the budgets, he never let an institution go because he couldn't fundraise enough. The key is the fundraising and, and to be able to get the, the necessary uh, funding in now, but he's got a team that that are that are planning to dedicate every bit of their lives to continuing his legacy and and I'm sure they will, and I'm sure uh, they'll continue going even stronger than they were before. I can only imagine how difficult a period of time this is for everybody, for his staff, for his family. Oh, for I mean, I can I can only imagine uh, to oh, lose to yeah, lose to lose somebody like this uh, in our community. Yeah. Um, uh, again, everybody out there, Rabbi Wallerstein Legacy Fund org. As we remember Rabbi Zachary Wallerstein and his incredible work, I want to thank Charlie Harari for helping us do that. And uh, Charlie, uh, if there's one thing we learned, sincerity. Being open and honest with our children and grandchildren, uh, showing them love and letting them know that they are diamonds. Uh, all these lessons are really, really, really critical. The, the, the other stuff, uh, the other stuff is, the other stuff's temporary. This is the stuff that creates really good permanent situations. For sure. You would always say happy kids are the ones that are able to become more connected to Hashem. Like, make sure your kids are happy. Right. Make sure they feel loved and respected. And then they'll be bigger. They'll connect to Hashem when they, when they feel the love from their family, it's so critical. Pretty and uh, he, he stood for that. Pretty amazing. Uh, I thank you as usual. And uh, we'll hear from you again it's in just honor. a few minutes. And I thank you for that as well. Thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate that, Charlie. Remembering Rabbi Zachario Wallerstein, my thanks to Charlie Harari, uh, who knew him well. Uh, those of you out there who are inclined to support work that's really important and vital. Rabbi Wallerstein Legacy Fund.org, or by Wallerstein Legacy Fund.org. More coming up. You're listening to a Thursday morning Sphere format edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Charlie Harari about the life of Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein. Thanks so much for tuning in to JM Rewind. More coming up if you keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network.